0: Again, medical education podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the editor in chief of the journal. I'll have the pleasure today of again reaching around the globe to speak with a colleague who's over in New Zealand while I'm sitting in Vancouver. The voice you'll hear momentarily is Joy Rudland, who is the director of the educational development and staff support unit at the University of Otago in New Zealand. And I am certain sitting in much warmer weather than I am right now as I look out the window and see a very slight snowfall. The paper we're going to discuss today you can find in the April 2021 issue of Medical Education. It's entitled "Learner Neglect in the Clinical Learning Environment: Applying Glazer's Theoretical Model." Joy, I'm not even certain what time of day it is there, but I appreciate you making the time, whatever it happens to be.
1: Well, Kevin, thank you very much for the invitation first, and. It's about lunchtime, and we're bathed in sunshine. Excellent. Glad to be here,
0: though. Wonderful. I want to speak with you in part because this notion of learner neglect I've seen arise a few times of late in various places, but it's not a concept that has had a long-term presence in the literature, to my knowledge. It seems like a relatively new and expanded way of considering the care and feeding of our trainees, so to speak. Do you mind telling the people listening what you mean by that phrase
1: okay sure so look first can I just acknowledge the co-authors of this paper Chris Jane, Mike Tweed and Tim Wilkinson so yeah the term men and the collect really from my perspective only really came into the literature in about 2019 and that's really what sort of prompted the use of that term And the fact that it's not actually been really well used to date. It's really contextualised or situated within the mistreatment literature. And I think there's also some resonance with psychological safety. But for me, learn and neglect, and we can go more into the paper about Glazier's framework, but it's really about the omission of elements of care in the learning process.
0: And that seems importantly different from mistreatment in the way that it's typically talked about. So how do you see the two fitting together, that omission of care relative to things that might fall in the discrimination or harassment or mistreatment categories that have been a more dominant focus?
1: Well, I think, you know, the literature, we do have a lot now on abuse and on bullying. And I I think the aspect there is it's very visible, very noticeable. And often you have individuals bullying around somebody that's actually has been bullied or abused in a very obvious way. Learning neglect is more insidious and it's less obvious. And a lot of the time it doesn't really meet a threshold that I think the learner feels empowered to actually divulge. And Webster's was a student perspective last year that was published. It indicates or it suggests from a learner perspective, from a student perspective, that this learner neglect may actually be even more detrimental than abuse because it is so woven into a fabric if you like, of the learning environment and it's less obvious but can be even more detrimental.
0: Hmm. You mentioned Glazer's framework, which is a model of child neglect as I understand it. What are the parallels that you saw in that model that made you go looking to see if it was applicable in our educational contexts?
1: Can I just start with a rider regarding Laser's model? I'm opposed to state this in the, the research as well, is that whilst we're using a model of child neglect, it's no way meant to undermine the devastation that's associated with child neglect. We're not making a comparison between child neglect and with learning neglect. This research merely attempts to adapt that existing framework of Asia's child neglect to novel emergent findings in the learning environment, and in this case for junior medical students. But when I was collecting the data, and the data was originally collected trying to look at areas of challenge that were positive. But in running focus groups, a lot of what the students wanted to talk about was in effect learner neglect. And I was really struggling to find a framework that encapsulated what they were talking about. So we looked at the existing literature and there's frameworks in elder neglect and also in child neglect. And looking over that literature, it was actually glazier's framework that just resonated with some of the aspects that I was hearing from the students in these focus groups. So it was really a case of saying, well, look, here's an existing framework. You know, how can we apply the data that we're finding, can we apply that data to the categories that Glazier actually generated? And basically that's what we did. So it was looking at existing frameworks and just trying to find the best fit, just from actually reading what they were talking about. So Glazier has five categories, if you like, of learning and neglect, and they just felt, they called me, they resonated with what I was hearing from students.
0: Well, and let me push you a little bit further in that regard, then. What was it that you were hearing from students that stood out as making this model seem particularly valuable as a framework?
1: So we sort of just go down Glazier's five areas, you know, about the emotional and availability. Also elements of sort of interacting in hostile manners. Inconsistent developmental interactions. You know, I can give examples of all of these, but for instance, our 40 years would start their clinical work and maybe write in the notes regarding the patients they are seeing, clearly identifying that they're students, of course. But then at the end of the year, they may actually be told, no, you can't do that. You know, that's not appropriate. And therefore, there was this inconsistency about their expectations of how they could engage within the clinical learning environment. So inconsistent developmental interactions was one of them. Failure to recognise individuality you know, clumping learners all as one, that again resonated. And, you know, I was hearing about staff not knowing the students' names, not using their names, or you type thing. Uh. And that again shows a lack of individuality in certain aspects. And also failure to promote social adaptation, trying to facilitate that adaptation into that new alien working environment. Because... We were looking at students that were transitioning from a controlled environment to a workplace learning environment where patient care rightly is focused, not learning. So again, failure to promote social adaptation. That was another element that really resonated. What Glacia's framework failed to encapsulate within that learning neglect model, though, was also the physical distancing, if you like, and staff not being available or being seen not to be available and that was an additional category we actually included for learner neglect.
0: Well and you alluded to Webster arguing that students may be impacted more by neglect than by harassment or bullying in some ways, and and, again, with the very important writer that you named that we don't want to draw too strong an analogy with the impact on children. Did you get some clear indications as to what these different aspects were inducing on the part of learners?
1: I think there's a whole variety the misattribution sometimes it the learner took on the mantle of it's my fault you know this teacher isn't engaging in a meaningful way because I'm not good enough so there was an element of sort of shame coming out of there that they weren't good enough that they weren't contributing in the right types of way mm. but there was also just the the feeling of Being exposed and vulnerability. So these individuals were entering a really alien environment for them. And initially they thought they had a guide and mentor. And look, in a lot of situations, the experience the students had has been wonderful. We're just showing the reverse side at the moment. So I do also want to put that caveat in. I'm very proud of Otago clinical teachers. They do a really fine job. But in certain circumstances, students would be left in this. What is an alien environment? They don't know how to behave. They don't even know what learning they need. And yet there's an expectation they stay in that environment, especially if a consultant needs to see them. So, you know, they reported feeling really lost and unsure and uncertain about their learning. So these were the kind of emotions that the students were actually indicating. You know, they were frightened.
0: I can imagine some saying, as you alluded to, that clinicians, especially in the environment that you were studying, patients are first priority. And sometimes, you know, perhaps learners feel neglected in part because they can't be the first priority for very valid reasons. How do you see or or did you hear anything from the learners that indicated how they manage that tension between not being possible to be the center of attention, to put it too bluntly, all the time?
1: Yeah, well, Webster in 2020 also made this point that there are occasions, rightly, occasions where a clinician cannot be around to support the student, maybe in the way that they wish to. And I think we do need to make it a little bit more explicit about the fact that there will be moments where the learner isn't the centre of attention and shouldn't be. But do we equip the learner with enough strategies to actually still move forward in that environment? And I think we could probably just Pay a little bit more attention to that transition period about giving the strategies for adapting to the times when rightly the clinicians are actually focused on patient care. So I think we could set our store a little bit better. We often say to students, you need to take the initiative. You need to take responsibility. And yes, they do. But I'm not sure that we equip some of them adequately enough to do that. For some of the students, they jump into the deep end and they swim around like little dolphins, you know, and you look at them and think, wow, you know, we're just talking about a certain percentage that really are thrashing, like a sinking brick. And what can we actually do to support them to be more able to adapt that? Because clinicians are busy. They have a primary responsibility. So I'm very sympathetic to that. And I don't believe any of our clinician teachers go in on a morning thinking they're going to neglect their learners mm-hmm. whether that medical students or registrars I'm sure that every clinician is going in with the best intentions so it's invariably not a deliberate act yeah. and I think you know we've also got to set our store for the teachers and say you know when you do this this is how the learner sometimes feels and what can we do to support them in actually that interaction with the learners
0: And so do you have any particular advice already as to how the learners can be offered better strategies or how we can support the faculty to relay those strategies?
1: I think we could potentially put in a few more structures from a university perspective about how we structure and support learning in the workplace. Environment. So I suppose I'm talking here more about our medical students being seen more as an asset rather than an annoyance. And you know, maybe falling a little bit here on the legitimate participation of Leigh and Wonga's work in the 1990s, but also Gonzala's work in 2017. That was all about medical students adding value. And I think sometimes we don't look about how the students can add substantial value in the workplace learning environment and can we set things up so that they are adding more value rather than being a nuisance. So some of the research I'm wanting to look at in the future is what interventions can we do that actually results in the students moving from being neglected to feeling part of a team even if there's no more time given to actually ensure that learning process. So I think we can put in structures, but I would say that I think one of the problems is that clinicians are overworked, you know, legitimately don't have the time often to spend on the learners. So it's not just a case of sort of putting in strategies. I do think we actually have to look at the expectations we place on clinicians and we can't keep placing more and more expectations. And um, Do we need a different change in the model? Do we need dedicated educators within the workplace and learning environments whose primary role is actually attending to the learners and not necessarily occupied with patient care? You know, do we need a different model of education than we currently have? So I think there's a lot of things that we could further explore about how we actually reduce learning neglect.
0: Really important points and obviously raises a number of issues that we're not going to resolve in in the time we have to have this conversation. But just as a step in that direction, as my final question, what do you see as the highest priority in terms of taking that next step, either for better understanding, neglect, or better how the system might need to change in order to improve upon it? Well,
1: I suppose one of the areas that are further research I would like to do is first look at the utility of the model. So, you know, we suggested a model, but can we use that in a tangible way to see whether we can improve learning neglect or reduce learning neglect? Also, the experience of learning neglect, you know, is that just at this transition point that I looked at, which is going from a controlled learning environment to a often chaotic work-based environment, are there other points when learning neglect is actually more evident, or is it a continuous thing that doesn't get better? you know so i think i'd like to know what registrar's experience of learning neglect are is it different because you have participation within a team or is it just you know part of a very busy working schedule that teachers have so i'd like to look at the utility of the model and then start looking at learning and neglect and how we reduce that and you know maybe put in some interventions to see whether we can improve The experience of learning neglect for, in my case, medical students. So, there's a huge amount of work here (laughs) that really needs to be done. We really want to address learning neglect as a concept.
0: Yeah, definitely a lot of work to be done. And so I'm glad that you're on it. It's not often in our careers that we get involved in a concept like this so soon after it's come into the light of day. And so I look forward to seeing how this evolves and wish you the best luck with it, because it does sound like it'll be a really important and hot topic moving forward. Anybody who wants more details and more elaborated argument, you will find it in the April 2021 issue of Medical Education. Again, under the first author of Joy Rudland and the title of Learner Neglect in the Clinical Learning Environment Applying Glazer's Theoretical Model.
1: Okay, well, thank you very much, Kevin, for the opportunity to talk about this.